You are listening to Future Net Zero, a platform to help businesses and the wider community improve our lives and our planet by achieving net zero. In this episode, Stuart Reed, Managing Director of Projects at Amp Clean Energy, speaks with Mark Tardsley, Managing Director of Muntins, about how sustainability and company culture can work together, vital heat decarbonisation initiatives, and how Munson's aims with the help of Amp Clean Energy to reduce its carbon emissions by 45% by 2010 levels by 2025. Welcome to this Future Net Zero podcast. I'm Sumit Bose and I'm joined today by the Group MD of Munson's Mark Tilsley and Stuart Reid, MD of Projects at Amp Clean Energy. Gents, how are you? Start with you, Mark. How's things? Yeah, good, thank you. Very good. Stuart? Yes, very good. Thanks, Sumit. Nice to talk to you again. Yes, I know. This is starting to become a relationship, Stuart. People will be talking. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We're going to talk today about kind of uh, a business and how it's uh, grown to look at, you know, a fairly older business and how it's grown to look at where the future of businesses lie. You've taken a very ambitious step to sign up to science-based targets, uh, Mark, and, you know, you've then had this relationship we'll talk about regarding sort of changing your, your power aspects. But can you give us a little background um, for people? They may not know the name Muntins, but they'll probably have used your products, haven't they, or somewhere down the line. No, absolutely. So Muntins is a malt and malt ingredients business. So essentially we buy barley, uh, turn it into malt or a, an ingredient derived from malt, and then we sell it on to the brewing and distilling industries and also to food businesses so you'll find our products in beers like Brewdog and Heineken in whiskey scotch whiskies and uh, also the international ones and also things like Maltesers so it's a it's a it's a fabulous business because we supply <laughs> we supply some incredible incredible <laughs> customers uh, and some very nice products at the end of it and it's been going since the 20s is that right yeah 99 years this year so 1921 it was founded and actually starts from a almost a recycling background because the basic malt extract is essentially a byproduct of the brewing industry so it's it's almost 99 years ago we could probably claim to have been a recycling business as it first started and so for 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 the average person obviously we 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 can look at it we go right we'll have a we'll have a whiskey a whiskey and a maltese is a very bizarre image but kind of (laughs) like but you know what what is it that you actually where's your raw materials come from can you just give us an idea of that and 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 then you talk about the malt extract because people think of malt and they think of i don't know stuff that's in in your bread or your your beer as you say but perhaps people don't know where it comes from do you actually grow the barley or are you are you taking old used spent barley and, and then it, as you said it's a more of a recycling business from from its whole heart and core no so the barley comes from um farmers in our in our local surrounds so we've got we've got sites in bridlington and Stowmarket, and we buy the vast majority of our barley from farmers uh, within 75 miles of those two sites and we then process that barley ourselves then to get the malt extract you essentially start the brewing process so you grind the malt and uh, soak it in water and then you just you just don't add the yeast and turn it into alcohol we then right gotcha. then um essentially concentrate that liquid down to a syrup similar in consistency to the golden syrup you see in a squeezy jar and that's what then goes around the world to be a food ingredient is it is it a british business or or, or you talk about going around the world would we find you know the the extract in in products around the world then yeah, so we are so we are um, uh, wholly 
um, wholly owned British business, family owned, 80% of the shares owned by one by one family. But we sell just over 50, well, probably 40, 45 to 50% of our business is international. Wow. Uh, so we supply Japanese distillers, American bakers, Asian biscuit manufacturers, as well as uh, as well as a whole host of UK and European businesses. So the world is munching and drinking its way through Munson's products. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, places like Asia. I mean, Asia is yeah. huge for malt products. You know, you go to Asia and you see the malted milk drinks. Yes, big time. Yeah, I, I my family's from Calcutta. They love a malted milk biscuit. Yeah. they love them. <laughs> With yeah. a cup of tea at four o'clock. I think it's a leftover from the Raj. Uh, maybe, but they, 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 that the, sub, the Asian markets do a fabulous job on malt being a real power. Yes. Yeah. Um, unlike the UK, where we see Horlicks as being a little bit of a sort of nighttime relaxing drink. Oh, I don't know. I used to love Horlicks when I was a kid. Yeah, but it's a full-on, it's a full-on energy drink across across Asia. Um, you know, it's drunk by kids before they go to school, before they play sports, after they play sports. Yeah, so, yeah. It's, yeah, it's really interesting. So, so looking at where you are as a business, and I'll bring Stuart in in a second, but. You know, why Why were you looking at your, I mean, how, how energy intensive is the business? Let's just get an idea of that for the audience. I'll give you a simple answer. Very. I mean, our, the whole malting process relies on heat. Right. Um, so we dry the barley when it comes on. So do you, can you give me, can you paint a picture? Is it like furnaces or is it kind of dry heat? How, how, how do uh, we use um, dry heat in terms of when the barley comes on site and then there are kilns that are gas. I mean, the, the, the historic model is gas fired. Yeah, well, historically coal-fired, yeah. but we're now gas. Everyone's on gas-fired um, kilns. Uh, that's the main energy consumption. And then we also use a lot of steam heat yeah. uh, to do the further processing of the of the malt into the extracts and the dry powders we use. And how much of this is kind of wasted? You know, why were you looking at trying to improve your energy profile? I think there's two parts on our energy profile. We think we're pretty efficient in terms of not wasting heat. You've got all of the all of the pieces of work around recycling, around capturing waste heat. So we do a pretty good job on that. I think the, the broader part for us is the carbon footprint of gas. Yes. And how we can, you know, if I look at our, our broader picture on our carbon footprint, essentially it's driven by two things. It's driven by energy and it's driven by barley. So we're trying to tackle both. And obviously the conversation we're having today is around how we can tackle energy as the major source of our carbon footprint. What more we can do to reduce that just because we think it's the right thing to do, honestly. So how did the conversation come about with uh, and clean energy. The biomass conversation came. We've got a. I've got a really good sustainability director, a guy called Nigel Davis, who is a uh, close to becoming a bit of a legend in the uh, in the world of sustainability, particularly around agriculture, right? Um, and brewing. So he has been looking, and he's constantly looking at ways in which we can reduce our carbon footprint of energy. So biomass was a conversation. We've had an installation in our Bridlington site. And we're looking to do the same thing in Stone Market. It's much more complicated in Stone Market because we need direct heat and steam heat. Um, the quantity required is much higher. We looked around for a, a really good partner, primarily around um, expertise, but also around funding. These are not cheap capital projects. And that's where we, we, you know, we asked people who were basically who was good at this and, and AMP were recommended to us. And we really liked their, their approach, their background, their knowledge. They felt like a good partner for us. 
And Mark, from from your perspective, um, a couple more bits of context. What what was it that made Munton sign up to the science based targets? Because for us as AMP, it's not not unusual, but I think not only have Munton's taken the step of signing up to those targets, you've actually embarked very seriously and and quite quickly and aggressively on delivering against them. So what what was it made you sign up to them? And was it customers pulling you in that direction or was it you pushing? How did that whole dynamic come about? It's categorically driven by our principles as a business. Uh, We've got a long history of doing a lot of work around sustainability. I mean, I could I could trace it if I if I tried to tell the story, I could trace it back to 1921. But in a realistic since the 80s, we've been we've been working on recycling heat, using waste heat. We were one of the early participants in the Sunday Times when they did their sort of top green businesses in the early 2000s. It's been something that we think differentiates us versus the market, and it's something that people in our business really, really believe in. So that that is the major, major driver of getting involved in any target setting. The reason for science-based targets. I think, again, the principle we try to follow is let's focus on everything that we can do about our own carbon footprints. Off- offsetting is a, is a great tool for, you know, if I go and take a flight somewhere, for example, and I, I want to, you know, try and offset that somehow, it, you know, it makes me feel better. And I think for some businesses, the only way they can get to a, a, a zero position will be through the use of offsets. We felt we had a lot of opportunity to reduce our own carbon footprint on our own terms without needing to go to the, the sort of the offset principle. So I think our, our, our sort of start point was let's get our house and our supply chain's house in order before we go to the uh, the alternative ways of getting, you know, getting our net carbon down to zero. And that's where I think science-based targets really help. Um, Stuart, what, when you looked at the, the, the site, what was, what was your first sort of challenge around it? I think there were a couple of challenges. So there's all, there's always an, a certain element of technical challenge in any project. So you need to you need to be confident in the solution you're going to provide, and and be confident that the solution you're going to provide is going to actually deliver the heat required to the business. Because you know if you, if you don't do that, it's it's game over basically. So if we park that kind of technical challenge, I think it was. I don't quite know what the percentage is, Mark, in terms of energy as your cost, but. Clearly, energy is a major cost to Muntins. And therefore, we know we knew there was a big commitment to going green, but equally, we knew that that wasn't a blank check. So I think the biggest challenge really was kind of finding the, the sweet spot between hitting the decarbonisation agenda, but also doing it in such a way that it, it allowed Muntins to maintain competitiveness. And, and I think that that was an interesting dynamic, Mark, as we as we kind of went through the project and reviewed various solutions and options and and thought about the balance of of that whole. It's the classic trilemma thing, Sumit, where you're yeah. you're trying to be more sustainable, you're trying to be more secure and local, but you're also you're also got to focus on the costs. And I think that was the the real kind of interesting bit of the challenge was how we balanced all those elements. Stuart, spot on. Um, we. You, you, we couldn't justify on a on a spreadsheet basis. We couldn't justify the investment in biomass on a payback basis. So whilst we were massively keen to do it, we had, we were trying to find a way of doing it where it made more financial sense for us. And that was partly where you know where AMP come in is that their ability to take a much longer term view on capital made it achievable for us without impacting on the on the profit of the business and delivering on the sustainability side of the business so it's, that's been a great compliment 
Stuart, can you just take us through what the solution is? Is it a, a, a biomass plant? Can you paint a picture again for the audience of what you came up with? Yeah. Um, so, so what we have, um, as Mark's described, there's there's um, there's kind of two uses, two main uses of heat in the site. So there's there's some which is uh, the heat's used as steam um, as part of the malt ingredient process, and then there's the kilns which are heated by direct gas burners creating hot air that's then that's then um, sort of travels its way up through the kilns drying the product so what we and massive gas user and and interestingly quite importantly for us a very stable load so so what we've what we've ended up with is a hybrid solution where we're picking up the majority of the heat load from biomass, we've got a 15 megawatt biomass boiler being installed, and we but we maintain some element of gas use through the use of a gas CHP, which is also going to deliver about 20 million kilowatt hours of heat and, and about the same of electricity. And it was the combination of those two solutions, which so that those two solutions combined, will it means that the site's reducing the carbon footprint by just over 50%. So we're saving about 15 and a half thousand tons of carbon a year um, as a result of this project. So, I mean, that's a massive, it's, it's, the, it's the single largest carbon saving project I've ever been involved with. So, I mean, it, it's huge from that point of view. We, we've also got the overall economic solution to the point where it's, it's delivering quite cost-effective energy for Munton. What we've done is we, we've leased a bit of the site and we're constructing a large energy center there. The energy center is going to contain both the biomass boiler and the CHP and then pipe work connects it across to the existing processes and, and, a, and a wire, obviously. All the, all the power we generate will be used on site. Mark, two questions I'd like to ask is, one, one you talked about, you know, choosing out because of um, not just the expertise, but you talked about funding. And everyone knows in these straightened times, and the pandemic has only made it worse, it's always been difficult to have large capital project outlay. Um, why was the funding part, how, how, did that, how did they help you with that? The agreement, with AMP, it's essentially AMP are building the biomass center. Uh, so it's quite straightforward. I'm providing the land and the long-term contract for the energy and AMP are building the center. And is this something that made this attractive? That's what I'm saying. If you were, if you had to do this yourself, would you have done it? No. Well, I mean, I, I, would, I, would, I would hope the answer would have been would have found a different way. <laughs> yes. um, but... If I look at my, you know, if I look, if I look at it from a, you know, from a cold, hard financial point of view, yes, um, this capital investment is not as attractive as other capital investments that I have available to me of similar capital size. So, from a purely financial point of view, if you were only measuring that basis, you'd never, you'd never be investing in this because the return is not as good as you can get on other things. But that's why it's important to find an alternative way of supporting it because we didn't want that to be a no. I wanted that to be okay. We can't do it that way. How can we do it a different way? And I think, from our perspective, Sumit, this is something that we find um, find in a lot of these projects. So, we we obviously take quite a long term view on the payback and our investments. Um, and for us, we get you know we get relatively excited if there's an eight nine year payback on on an investment. If you're a business like Muntins or some of the other sectors we're dealing with. Yes. The, the payback period or the return and capital period is is eight, eight or nine years is just a no go for many businesses because there's other things that are that are kind of revenue generating that they can choose to invest in that will get a much better return. So this this is a get and and that's even the case before 
you know, we're, we're in kind of COVID area where businesses are, are preserving cash. So it, it, it's quite a common theme, really. And the other part is expertise. I mean, I'm, I'm, not, um, I'm not an energy expert. I'm a monster. I'm a, yeah, I'm sure. a brilliant Absolutely. Yeah. I, don't, I don't want to become an expert in um, the different, I mean, I've, become, I've become a bit more of an expert than I wanted to be, but I, you know, I don't want to be an expert in which, you know, is AgriForce the right board to use and how does it best connect? And that's, that's not our expertise. So the other benefit of this is we get to tap into a business that knows energy inside out and use all their knowledge to our advantage, which is a huge win for us as well. I mean, you're, you're the MD, aren't you? Yeah. So effectively, you could have just said, look, I'm going to do it. But I suppose a, even the MD has to look at the, what the financial people say. Is that the thing that if you looked at it and you said, look, morally, we want to do this. We know it makes energy sense. I want to, you know, outsource all the thinking about it. But would you say that one thing about the way AMP create the funding model is the reason that you could get it over? Yes, I think it's the, it's the short answer. Uh, <laughs> no, I, do, I mean that because business will be thinking, this is great. They'll be listening to this going, this is what we'd like to do. But, you know, it's always that question of what is morally right to do, what is, you know, environmentally right to do, all of that. But how do you actually fund it? And the fact that in a sense that, you know, as Stuart was saying, they'll take a risk for eight, 10, whatever years. That kind of gives you, as a, a business person, a bit of a peace of mind that it's built in money. Yeah, I think you know. I mean, we, I, I think our business is one. Although we've been around for a long time, we've got we're pretty ambitious in terms of growth plans. The list of things I'd like to do is 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 longer than my arm. Um, so finding a way to do one of the really important things without having to sacrifice other things on our list and and keep the keep the spreadsheet side of things happy as well as. You know, do what's right for our principles. This is a it's a it's a really good solution to that to that challenge. Yeah. Um. Just to end with, what what does this meant for you? Are you now sort of self self sufficient? Are you trying to you know use some of your extra heat and energy to help the local environment? What what are you, what are you doing around that? Um. I don't think we're going to get. We're not going to have very much excess. So we will be um mostly self-sufficient there's still still a requirement for um external provision of gas and for electric even just managing things like shutdowns and maintenance periods yeah but we are trying to become essentially more resilient that we're we're more in charge of our energy provision and uh, ultimately from a carbon point of view you know when when stone market is fully up and running we'll probably have reduced our carbon um emissions from something like fifty thousand tons across our uk sites down to about five thousand incredible it's a massive contribution to the the greater challenge that exists in the world what what does it mean for your customers i mean will you be will you you know once it's running and everything you've got this is this something you think that will help you dare i say win more business uh it, it helps with um some of our customers so some some of our customers are, are as far forward about taking sustainability really seriously and being willing to invest time resource and and ultimately profit to get a more sustainable business so with those people it really helps our relationship i would say it's no more than about no more than 50 percent of our customers who have really embraced it although that percentage is changing rapidly um, at the moment which is a, which is a great thing so people are becoming more and more interested and i think it will be a competitive advantage for us in the future and i think that's reinforced by some of the um some of the the, the customers of Muntins that have been keen to get involved in in sort of some of the PR or marketing associated with this project. 
um, you know, real, real kind of consumer facing brands who are always keen to emphasize the sustainability of their supply chain. So th that's been quite striking for us to see how keen people are to come on board around the messaging. And it's, it's you know, big brands that everybody, everybody recognizes willing to sort of say, this is great. As a result of this project at Muntins, we, we're now delivering a greener product or a more sustainable product to it also helps. I think it also helps in terms of my, certainly for me. I I get a real pride out of how seriously this business takes sustainability. I think that is true for. Well, I know we think we measured it. We measured it a few years ago. It was ninety one percent of our workforce were you know really aware of our sustainability credentials and efforts. I think qualitatively, it's something that just helps people feel you know that extra little bit of pride in who they work for that we do take this seriously. On, on big projects like this, but also on small things like running allotments, having car charging points, having reusable water bottles, having no plastic cups on site, you know, all those those small pieces alongside the real big investments. It's a it's a nice match of you can do things on your own, but the company is also putting its heft behind major change. That's the key point. I would summarize um, our experience of working with Muntins. It's it's much more than just a slogan. Or just a, just a sort of aspirational target. There's actually really practical things happening that that mean it's it's being delivered on, and and not all businesses are are doing that. You know, there's there's more and more are kind of saying the words, but not not actually delivering the actions like Mark and the and the team are at Muntins. Excellent, gents. Thanks so much for your time this morning. It's been it's been great to have a chat and. Uh, I'll go and get myself some Maltesers. I don't think I'll have the whiskey. I might have a, a Horlicks, <laughs> but I'll be, I'll be thinking about its lower carbon profile. Thanks a lot, both of you. You have been listening to a Future Net Zero podcast, along with our partner, Amp Clean Energy. This has been a promoted podcast. Thanks for listening to this Future Net Zero podcast. Please follow us on social media and subscribe to the website at www.futurenetzero.com. Future Net Zero. Better business, better planet.